You already know you're going to eat some of those McDonald's golden fries on the drive home. So, you may as well add an extra order just for that. <laughs> you like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. I want you to speak back to the infidelity. Yeah. I see you differently right now because... Because I see it as... um, I see you as just a choice. And it wasn't your best moment. Mm -hmm. And? You're not harming anyone anymore. Like, it's over and done with. This is not an active thing that you are still doing. I'm Deanna Farron, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is a show where I speak with anonymous guests every week about challenges they're facing. I'm the author of the national best-selling book, The Origins of You, which explores how to break family patterns so that you can liberate the way you live and love. I hope what you hear today helps you as you go through your own journey. Our guests are anonymous. Names and other personally identifiable details within their stories may be changed or excluded. Conversations with participants are limited consultations. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is for informational purposes only. Today I'm speaking with Jackie. That's her alias. She has a hard time allowing herself to be human, to be imperfect. She cheated in her current relationship, and though her partner has forgiven her, she has really struggled to forgive herself. She doesn't even know how to do it. Growing up, she felt like she had to be a good girl, which was exacerbated after her father was in a serious car crash. It left him with a brain injury that changed his personality and made him reactive and verbally abusive. As a result, Jackie shifted into someone who pleased, who was perfect, who flew under the radar. Although Jackie knows that perfection isn't possible, she still struggles to allow herself grace when she makes mistakes. She's stuck in a loop of self-blame and punishment and holds a story that since no one else has punished her, she must be the one who does. Those impossibly high standards, her need to be perfect, started when Jackie was young, after the accident that changed her life forever. When I was nine, my dad was hit at 75 miles an hour on the driver's side. Wow. Coming from a business lunch. And the other, the man that hit him died on impact. Mm. And uh, my dad doesn't remember this, but he was conscious the entire time. Mm. And they used the jaws of life to get him out and got to the hospital, immediately rushed him into surgery. He had shattered his femur. And then he had a stroke after Mm. the second surgery. And they were like, you're not going to walk again. Mm. So during that time, right, everything was in upheaval. And I didn't have parental units, basically. Yeah, I had incredible, we had incredible family, and my parents were very involved in their church, so that my grandma came down and all this other stuff, but I didn't have my parents. And honestly, like, my dad had a traumatic brain injury, so when he Mm -hmm. came home, he was a different person. My sister doesn't remember him from before. She was, she's younger than me. But kind of once that happened... Like, our our family unit, like, fell into roles, right? Yeah. And my dad was extremely explosive mm-hmm. and in pain. And, of course, he's he's mellowed as he's gotten older, but there's still—I get my temper from him. I know that. He doesn't go against me anymore. I'll say it like that. He knows mm-hmm. now. But at the time, as a child, I definitely slotted into 
perfect, perfect grades, Mm -hmm. perfect, you know, best athlete you can be, best performer you can be, best blank you can be, as thin as you can be. And that led to an eating disorder, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then it was interesting. I went from perfect to then the black sheep with the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was the perfection something that managed the reactivity from him? So yes. if you were perfect, great student, great athlete, thin, et cetera, et cetera, then he was less reactive? Absolutely. Yeah. And I also recognized that a big part of this too was I was raised in a religious household. And I can now look back and, and recognize that it was high control religion. And so there was also an element of do your part, mm-hmm. be the good girl. Yeah. And I feel, I know that a big part of how I rebelled later on in life was like, I am so tired of being the good girl because it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't matter because I didn't get. It didn't matter because I didn't get the emotional support. It didn't matter because the truth didn't ever matter. It was always I'm being dramatic or I'm causing problems. Hmm. Yeah. It didn't matter because I didn't get the emotional care I needed. I didn't get the support that I needed. I didn't get the parents that I needed. I didn't get my dad back. I don't know what your dad, what your relationship was like with your dad before the accident. Do you recall? Yeah. What was it like? Very, very gentle, very loving. The kind of dad that uh, we have pictures of him like watching a basketball game or whatever's on TV, but my sister and I, do you remember Pretty Pretty Princess? Yeah, of course. Is gonna <laughs> like putting all of the Pretty Pretty Princess on him. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he would just sit there. It was like, yeah, mm. dad of daughters, you know? You softened so much when I asked you about your relationship with your dad pre accident. I don't know if you noticed that in your body. And I think that it's an important thing to really acknowledge the shift that took place. Not only is it terrifying as a kiddo to see your parent go through something like that and not know if he's going to be okay and to know that death is a possibility, right, at least in the early moments, and then to have the accident and the stroke, you know, be something that really takes your father away from you, right? There's a really significant loss there, right? His personality is different, right? There is a traumatic brain injury, right? He's more reactive, aggressive, right? There's a lot that can change. And, you know, cognitively, we understand that he went through a trauma. And so because of that, it's part of why he is different and why he presents to you and the world differently. And it also doesn't change that it's still the dad that you got post-accident, And that you did experience what you experienced, even though it all makes sense, right? Even though you can sit here and rationalize it and explain, you know, what the stroke did and yada, 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 right? But it doesn't change what the experience was. And then when somebody has something like that, right, so much of the focus goes there. Mom's focus has to become dad and survival. And, you know, your sister, I know you said was younger. How old was she Mm -hmm. when it happened? How how far apart are you two? We're... Three and a half years, but she was five at the time. Yeah, right. So so really tiny. Yeah, like I would get called. Now we know they were panic attacks, right? Yeah. But even back then, I don't really think we had the verbiage. Mm-hmm. So I would get called as nine, right, over the loudspeaker. Jackie, come to the office. And it happened so often that teachers would just trust me to go. And I'd stopped going to the office. I would just walk straight down to the kindergarten classroom where my sister was. And she was, she would get so worked up. And it was always, you know, a change, even if something as simple as changing an activity. I can look back and like, you understand, you know, I know exactly what it was. Um, And so just, I would sit there for like 30 minutes and she would calm down. (laughs) She always calmed down, but nobody else could get her to calm down. It was just, I mean, before me, it was my mom that she was that kind of kid. So then it was me. Yeah. 
But that's, you know, when we th- when you said you had to support everyone else, right? You supported your sister. What were you to your mom? Just a not in the way. Yeah. Not as, not as needy as my sister. Yeah. Yeah. Fly under the radar. Don't need too much because she's got enough on her plate with dad and, mm. and my sister because she's too young to, you know, figure out what, what to do here. So let me just erase my needs and let me just try to be as perfect and still and palatable as possible for everybody here. Yeah. That word lands for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you said the black sheep thing, that sort of originated from, okay, eating disorder, this is something that they don't really understand. It's disruptive to them. This is a problem for them. They don't know how to fix it, solve it. Also an an embarrassment. Uh We don't want anyone to know. We don't want to tell anyone, that kind of thing. How did they handle the stroke? How did they handle the accident? Was that something that they tried to hide from the community or? No. Okay. No. I mean, they really couldn't. Yeah. You know, like we have this incredible neighborhood that I grew up kind of, you know, takes a village like truly that, you know, called all the adults by their first names. And one of them had an RV at the time that was like tricked out. They immediately drove it to the hospital. That way my mom could Mm. actually sleep Mm -hmm. like in a separate space. They would sit in. We'd known them for six years at this point. So not... I mean, crazy stuff. And yeah, and then the moms of the neighborhood took turns sleeping at our Mm -hmm. house so that we would be able to sleep in our beds. But then you'd wake up with a new mom figure every morning, making you a breakfast that you don't normally have. Yeah. The dad, I remember the dads in the neighborhood, because my dad obviously couldn't do the stairs, moved my parents, like their entire master bedroom down into our living room and moved all of that furniture out. Wow. Yeah, a lot of support. Yeah, incredible support, incredible community. What did you need back then? I needed someone to tell me what was going on. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people were treating me like I didn't know what was going on. And I'm still, my mom even said that. She's like, but no one knew that but me. And I didn't think to tell anyone that I was extremely intuitive. Yeah. And I needed people to tell me what was going on. I needed to see my parents more, and I know that that was probably not possible, but it just felt like pulling teeth to get—they initially didn't want to take us down to the hospital because my dad was so banged up. Yeah. And I was just desperate to see him and my mom. Of course. Desperate. And then the first time we get there, We weren't allowed to touch him Mm -hmm. because they didn't trust us to not pull out a tube or something. Mm -hmm. And I remember being furious because I was like, I know not to pull out a tube. Let me hold his hand, you know? Yeah. So instead, my sister and I stood at the end of the bed holding hands. And it's just terrible. It's just terrible. So there's that. Like, I needed that. But I also needed someone to, like, have space for me. I felt um, I had an amazing teacher who's still in my life that was in my life during that time who was incredibly attentive. And she did her best, but she's still a teacher. (laughs) It's a classroom, but I needed a therapist. Honestly, I needed that. And my mom joked, she's like, my biggest regret in life is that we didn't all go to therapy after that. I don't know why we never, you know. And I'm like, yeah, no, we had other, we had survival to think about, you know. We had survival. Yeah, that's right. But then the opportunity presented itself for all of us to go to therapy. They were forced into family therapy with my eating disorder because my therapist was like, this is a teenager. The family unit is a huge part of this. And nobody played along. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what you recognized in terms of the worthiness wound. I know obviously some of the conditional stuff there that we were just talking about post-accident, right? Be perfect, please perform, you know, great student, great athlete, all the things like let me just present in this way in order to create an environment of peace and calm and less, you know, fighting or less aggression, anger from dad. Where do you think the worthiness piece for you comes in? Because I know that that resonated with you when you were reading the book. 
I was raised Christian and of like a mega church. And I knew immediately when they would read scripture about women that I did not fit that meek, mild, <laughs> subservient. I was a tomboy. I came to church in my soccer uniform. You know what I mean? Like, I knew that's who I was. And then as I got older, there there were moments where I was like, why are there no women pastors? Like, why are women only in charge of, like, children's? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that kind of stuff stood out to me. And so I knew I wasn't a good Christian woman very quickly. And then it took a really long time for me to be like, I don't want to be one. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Did that happen pre-infidelity? Yes. Because certainly the infidelity would solidify that that narrative for you, right? Is that you're not a good Christian woman. No. Right? And But I also already knew that I didn't want to be based on the way it's being described to me. Yeah, and those aren't, those aren't my values anymore. You know, yeah. It's taken a long time to unpack, but I'm like, no, I don't. Mm -mm. you cognitively know that you can do something that you see as wrong or, you know, that you have regret over or that you're upset about yourself for and it not make it you, right? I think you were saying that before. It's like, I know I can do a bad thing and it not be something that has to, you know, over-identify me, but I can't get to this place of self-forgiveness, right? I, I can't put this down even though my partner has put it down, even though it's not, it doesn't need to be present, you know, in our lives anymore, even though we have a great relationship now, I know you said, right? Yeah. So I'm curious, if I put it down, what happens? What do I believe will happen? Well, then I just, like, got away with it. Got away with what? Being a bad person. Yeah. I know that's reductionist, but that's, like, really what's coming up. That's like, I want you to give it exactly as it is. That's the most helpful thing for us, right? So as the way that you hear it in your head, the way that you think it, the way that you believe it, yeah, don't don't change it for me, right? So yeah, I got away with it. I got away with being a bad person. I didn't get the punishment or the consequences that I'm supposed to get. Even though now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much pain and so much work that we'd like put in and it was terrible. It's awful. Yeah. There are some consequences. Yeah. What did the consequence need to be? Him leaving you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I, like, I lucked out. Yeah. But the issue is that unless you leave me, I can't put this down. Yeah, or like unless everyone knows and is able to cast their judgment on me and maybe still love me, but if they don't, I deserve it. 
you, I mean, you know, there's a part of you that is like, I know it's true for you. And also the way that you're saying it, it's like, you're kind of mocking it, right? Because you like, there's a part that knows like, okay, this is, it's a little outrageous and self-punishing. Well, because like I've now, I've had friends come to me to tell me that and I've never, I've never ever looked at them and been like, this is a garbage person. Yeah. But I'm so sure that's what I deserve. Yeah. I either deserve for you to leave me or I deserve for everyone to to punish me and, and really put me through the ringer. Yeah. And if none of that happens, though, then what? And I just have to sit with myself. Yeah. And sitting with myself has been what? It is terrifying. It's, yeah. yeah, it's hard. What are you afraid of having happen if you actually forgive yourself? That I'll move on and have this incredible life yeah. that I probably don't deserve, but I've worked so hard for. Yeah. Tell me where the deserving piece comes in. I don't feel like I deserve this life. I, I don't. I, I'm like one of those people that I like really am like living my dream. Even though I know I was on that grind for like 10 years trying to make it basically. And also like all the shitty dating experiences and all of the like terrible relationships and wonderful relationships and all that. And then to find this person and really to re refine them is just like more than I could ever imagine. I think of nine-year-old Jackie and I'm like, man, girl, if you could see. Yeah. If you could see yourself decades later. Because nine-year-old Jackie believed what? That she wasn't beautiful, that she wasn't deserving of love, that love was conditional, that she wasn't going to have a good life because she wasn't very good. Yeah. It's very interesting, right? Because I think the infidelity in some ways, like the way that the two of you moved through that obviously is something that is disproving this narrative that you've held for so long. I can do a bad thing, right? I can do something that hurts someone, that lets someone down, that ruptures trust, that breaks something, right? I can do that. And oh, what? That person can still love and choose me? I can still be deserving of the relationship. I can still be deserving of love and care and connection. That crosses the wires for nine-year-old you. Nine-year-old you who worked really hard, actually, tirelessly at, you know, trying to please and be perfect and perform for those around her. And version you, whenever this infidelity took place, right, is like, and it's not to say that you necessarily, well, probably not consciously, we're, we're testing the waters or seeing, can I do something bad and still be loved? I absolutely was. Yeah. I, I can look back and be like, I wanted to blow up my life yeah. because I felt like that was what I deserved. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't blow up your life. Well, no. it blew it up to some degree, but it didn't blow it up in the way that you believed you deserved to have it be blown up. Yeah. What's the emotion for you? Yeah, just something you said about like being chosen. I think a, a big part of that is I have felt like my parents haven't chosen me. Yeah. They've chosen a lot of other things over me and my my safety, my care. And so then to have uh, someone come in who my partner chooses me every time. I, like, can't even put it to words. This person is so... Not selfless because my partner is self-aware and knows to put the mask on first, you know, that kind of stuff. But will always choose me, will always go, has has even confronted my family before, been like, you will not speak to Jackie like that. This is not going to continue. 
Yeah. And I think it's really hard for me to accept. Yeah, you don't know what to do with that. You're right. There's like some cognitive dissonance here because I'm like... Yeah. The wires cross. This doesn't equate. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. How could you choose me when I've hurt you? Yeah. When I've done the thing that is maybe one of the most hurtful things that we can do to someone, right? It's like, and and you are, you found a way to still choose me. It doesn't mean that he didn't have hard moments, that he wasn't upset, that he, you know, but that he found a way, that the two of you found a way to still choose each other on the other side of your healing journey. It's hard for you to believe that. It's hard for you to accept that. And, you know, as you pointed out, you didn't feel chosen as a kiddo. You may have felt chosen to some degree pre-accident, but yeah, you didn't feel chosen as a kiddo. And even when you were, you know, it's interesting, especially with the eating disorder, because it was, like you said, the first time that you sort of became the black sheep. You were, quote unquote, perfect, you know, up until that point. And Oh, so clever, right? Like the part that's like, well, now we all have to go to therapy. Now we have to talk about things. Now we have to feel things, right? The function to something, right? The behavior serves something. You are always of service to your family. You are always of service to your family, whether you knew it or not, right? And even in relationships, right? Like behaviors can be of service for something bigger than what we understand it to be. I think a lot of people would probably argue, uh, what does, you know, infidelity serve? But, you know, what you're telling me is that this is something that brought other things into focus. There's other stuff that's going on here. And it's not an excuse maker, right? We're not going to sit here and make excuses for it. But it's something that brought important things into play for the two of you to actually be able to talk about them and confront them and face them and not hide from them, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you don't want to put down the self-blame. You don't want to put down the self-hatred. And this piece around the punishment, like I said in the beginning, where it was like, it feels like what you're saying is that the punishment that you've received does not match the crime, if you will, that you've engaged in. And until that happens, I don't know what to do with the fact that someone else can have grace and compassion and a deeper understanding of you know, the system at play and not just see this through a very narrow lens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I asked my partners, um, I got their consent to do this, right? And they're like, I want you to do it if you want to do it. I'm not thrilled about it because it wasn't my best moment either. And I was like, even though, like, I know we were in a really yucky place, like, I was just baffled that that was his response. Yeah, because he sees a fuller picture of it, right? He sees a bigger picture of it. He recognizes multiple things happening simultaneously, and you stay narrow-focused on you only. I did a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Who did a bad thing growing up? Well, the, the guy that hit my dad. Yeah. But also, yeah, my dad. My dad and my mom. My mom for not stopping some of the verbal stuff that would come out of my dad. Yep, yep. And I got the order, right? The guy who hit my dad did a bad thing. And then my dad did a bad thing, and I know you want to say, but he had a traumatic brain injury and there's, you know, all the stuff and, you know, all all that changed up. And then the mom did a bad thing because she didn't step in and she didn't protect me and she didn't take a stand and she didn't set boundaries and she didn't do the thing that the other adult is supposed to do in those situations. Yeah. yeah. I'm still, like, ticked about that. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. 
have they received punishment? I mean, yeah, they've they've had to navigate all of this. That's right. That's punishment enough. But like even honestly, like even telling you about if you were to meet my dad and this actually happened with my first eating disorder therapist, she like didn't believe my stories about him because he's so charming. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean when nobody played the game and we went to therapy. Nobody, everybody put on their best face and I was like, what is happening? Yeah. No one gets to see your experience properly. No. And so like, but even telling you, like even, I mean, it's taken almost a decade of therapy to like be able to say like, oh, my dad was verbally abusive growing up. And he also had a traumatic brain injury. Like we know that, but like, like even telling you this right now, like feels like a betrayal of my family unit. Like it's like a pact that we all kept. I know. I get it. And I believe you. I want to say that. Yeah. And I can hold the context. I recognize, I understand that there's a lot of layers to it. And there's a lot of nuance to it. And as you know, right, being able to say that sentence and put a period at the end of it is really powerful and important. Right? Your dad was verbally, emotionally abusive. Period. Yeah, like I I see children, you know, my friends' children or just children out, and I can't imagine speaking to them in some of the ways that my father spoke to me. And I also cannot imagine now that I am old enough to be a mother, being a mother and not going absolutely not. Yeah, right. How can a mother not protect? Yeah, but my mom is like the master compartmentalizer, like borderline scary. She can put it in a box, put it over here, and never talk about it. Let's take one last break. We'll be right back. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is. Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more. These are people who did bad things. And have you ever talked to them about those bad things? Not about the accident, really. A couple years ago, actually, before I got married, post-infidelity, I, like, went back into treatment for my eating disorder And my then fiance was like, I don't care what it costs, find who you need. And I started to get better. And it was really hard. And at one point, we were supposed to go home to see our families, do some wedding planning. And my dietician was like, so your house, are you staying at your house? And I was like, well, that was kind of the plan. And she's like, do they have all the food groups there? I go, no. She goes, and I'm not really sure you can stay there. I think you need to give that some thought. And when I went to talk to my parents about it and about their role a little bit, like I I told them I couldn't stay with them. I got this terrible reaction. Then when I was in town, I said, hey, can I just talk to you and explain where I'm at? 
it was a terrible, terrible confrontation. Mm. It was a lot of, at one point, like, screaming, pointing fingers at me. Why can't you just focus on you? And that's when I, like, SOS texted my partner. He came and was like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of space there with them. And there's not a lot of capacity there with them. And so in that, you can't be acknowledged and seen and even just having a presence with what your experience was. It's just, it's not available. And I, you're so good at holding the context for others when it comes to you. Obviously, that's quite a bit harder. But I, I wonder a little bit about whether if you forgive yourself, what that then means for your parents. Like if there's a link there that mm. you don't, you get, you can't do one without the other. Or, yeah, you made a face. So I'm curious if something came up there for you. Yeah. Cause like there's part of me that I'm like, all of you owe me an apology. <laughs> you need to acknowledge this and then I will forgive you. Mm. But I'm like, I know I cannot wait for that apology. Like, I know in my heart it's not coming. Well, you have conditions for them and you have conditions for yourself. Yeah. Right? So once you acknowledge this, then I can forgive you. Once people punish me enough, then I can forgive myself. Once I get treated terribly, right? Right? So once these things happen, then I'm allowed and they're allowed to access forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I forgive myself without going through that, then does it mean that I also have to forgive them without them acknowledging me? Mm-hmm. I, I do. I feel like I'll bring up little things and be like, this was extremely painful. And there's always a, but we didn't, but we were trying, but it was, and I'm so tired of it. I'm just like, can you just sit with this for a second? Can you just sit here? What do you need to have heard? You close your eyes if you need to. What do you need to have heard? What do you want people to understand about your experience, about what you went through, about how scary it was as a little nine-year-old and, and then after? Like, what is not seen? that their comfort and safety trumped my comfort and safety quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Speak it to them. Yeah, say it directly to them. Mom, Dad, you claim this specific set of values, but when push comes to shove, if I am hurting, you're going to choose your own comfort. It won't be acknowledged until can be done when you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And you're never comfortable. So what that means for me is? You're never comfortable. So what that means for me is I'm not witnessed. I'm not seen. And I feel unimportant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I need you to see is? What I need you to see is you've held me to incredibly high standards and I would like to be able to hold you to those as well. Hmm. I would like your actions to back up your words. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a moment there. The high standards they've had for you are also the high standards you have for yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You feel like the absence of being witnessed there is a part of why you are hyper-focused on witnessing the quote-unquote bad that you've done? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You are laser focused on it. You keep witnessing it over and over and over again. You can't stop acknowledging it. If you could place infidelity in front of you, maybe it has a shape, just, just pull it out. Does it live inside of you? Like how, how yeah, where, where is it normally? It's in my stomach. Okay, pull it out. Great, it's in your stomach, pull it out. Pull it out of your body and just place it in front of you. And let me know when you have it. What's it look like? It's pink. Okay. And round shape? It's kind of like um, like coral shaped. Yep. What color pink? Um, it's, it's bubble gum for some reason. Okay. Yeah. And what do you notice about it? Already it feels really childish and like attention-seeking. Mm. Yeah. So if the infidelity could speak to you, what it would say is... Why aren't you taking care of yourself? Mm. Meaning? Why are you just sitting there? Yeah, why are you just sitting there letting them speak to you like this? Yeah. And starving yourself and saying you're okay. Why are you just sitting in this? What I think you should do is... What I think you should do is get up. Get up and... Get up and be present. Yeah. Stop hanging out with the past. <laughs> yeah. Does it want you to put it down? Yeah. <laughs> How do you know? <clears throat> I'm not a little girl anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being adult means what? That I'm in charge of my own life. Yeah, and if I'm in charge of my own life, what that means about mistakes I've made and choices I've made that I don't like is what? It's just that mistakes and choices. And they were opportunities to learn, and you learned yeah. And you grew. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you went through hard things. Yeah. Yeah. Enough hard things. I want you to speak back to the infidelity. Yeah. I see you differently right now because... I see you differently right now because I see it as, um, I see you as, it's just that, just, just a choice. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't your best moment. Mm -hmm. And? And I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but you're not harming anyone anymore. Like, it's over and done with. Yeah. This is not an active thing that you are still doing. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe you can stop actively punishing yourself. So let's take that pink coral and I'm not going to put it back in your stomach, okay? Yeah, it doesn't need to be there. We can place it somewhere else. I don't know if there's a, a spot, a place, an area that you would want to put it. We don't have to necessarily toss it out with the garbage, right? Because it happened. It exists. It's there, okay? But can we put it somewhere outside of your body? 
Yeah. Where would you like to put it? We have a drunk drawer. <laughs> yeah. That seems appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can hang out in there. I don't want it in our bedroom, you know. Yeah. Tell me a little bit of what that was like for you. I was very judgy that I made it pink. <laughs> very judgy of myself. And I was like, you love pink. Why are you making this pink? And then it made sense because I was like, oh, now it's approachable. Like, it's not this big black blob or anything. It's just this pink piece of coral. Yeah. And saying, like, you're harmless now. Again, I felt that, like, tinge of guilt. Like, am I letting myself off the hook? And then I was like, this is something we've processed, both as a couple and individually, and it's not doing active harm anymore. Yeah. Good. What do you think you'll share with your partner about this? The thing that's sticking out right now is, like, it's not active, so I don't need to actively punish myself. Yeah. Does it feel real in your body that you can actually put that down? Yeah, I've been ready to put it down. I think it's why I called. I think it's why I read your book, you know? And then I was just so shocked when it was mentioned. Yeah, and I feel really ready. There have been so many changes in the past couple of years and my career has taken off and our marriage is great and honestly like I've I've really stayed the course with my recovery mm -hmm. I've cut out like a lot of things in my life and I'm just feeling so good and so I'm like yeah I want to keep feeling good I want to keep feeling better and this isn't helping me feel good yeah. I'm ready to put it away yeah permission to feel good permission to forgive yeah. So what do you think self-forgiveness might sound like? I recognize the choices that you made. And I recognize the woman you are now. Yeah. And how might self-forgiveness feel? What was that like? Tune in. Feels like a good hug. Yeah. Trusting? Yeah, a little compression, but not too much. Yeah. I don't know if you'll have little moments of punishment that want to creep back in. I imagine it can rear its head from time to time. I don't know that, you know, we get off this call and it's done and you've placed it in the junk drawer and you never, you know, hear from it or see it again. But I think it's a practice that when, if, and when it pokes its head up, that you have access to something that you're able to remind yourself of, right? What does self-forgiveness sound like? What you just said. And maybe that's the mantra, that you remind yourself, that you bring yourself back home to who you are, today right? so that it matches that it doesn't mean that it's never going to have its moments and it's never going to try to visit you but that when it does visit you that you know how to respond to it and how to face it instead of going down the shame spiral and you know letting it all pile on yeah the work continues the work always continues. Yeah. But maybe you have a little visual of that pink coral. Maybe you'll even find yourself a piece, something, that an object that really represents that for you. And that you just continue to make sure that it does not enter into your body. Right. That you leave it outside and continue to practice that. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, thanks for joining me today and sharing some of your story here. I really appreciate you. Not forgiving yourself serves something. Blaming yourself serves something. Holding yourself to impossible standards serves something. Our behaviors make sense in context, and it all serves a function. That's our work, to figure that piece out. If you struggle with forgiving yourself, I'd really encourage you to become curious and make space for the complexity of the human experience. You can do things that you are ashamed of, disappointed by, and regretful of, and you can still be a human who is deserving and worthy of being chosen, or of being loved, or of being forgiven. But to make space for this with oneself also means that we need to make space for it with others. That ultimately our work is to see all people through this lens. That doesn't mean that we let people back into our lives or that we maintain relationships that are unhealthy for us. It does mean, though, that we can recognize that people can do bad things without that having to become their identity. I hope what you heard today was helpful. If you like the show, tell your friends and loved ones to listen. It would also mean so much to me if you could rate and review This Keeps Happening on Apple Podcasts. This Keeps Happening is hosted by me, Vienna Farron. This episode was produced by Anita Flores. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell and Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Casey Holford. Our managing producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana from Stitcher Studios, Keith O'Connell, and Will Rogers from Soundbite Entertainment. Stitcher. It's okay if you aren't ready for kids right now. It's okay if you don't want to be a mom now or even ever. It's nobody's decision but yours. But do you know what's not okay? Not knowing how effective your birth control is. Talk to your doctor about effective birth control options so you can make an informed decision. Tap to learn more. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.